0: First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org.
1: I'm witnessing these modern-day miracles that He is doing through this filter. My faith has grown to a level, to now I say to those people that tell me I can't help 400,000 people in the biggest slum in the world, and I just say, well, Why not?
0: He was surprised by his own story as it unfolded. Welcome to First Person, where you're about to meet Christopher Beth and hear how God moved in his heart and life in an unexpected moment to offer both clean water and the gospel to people in need. Welcome to First Person, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Whenever you miss one of our interviews, I hope you'll take advantage of both our website and our free smartphone app. The website for streaming this program and more is firstpersoninterview.com and the app can be found in your respective app store for easy downloading of interviews to listen to at your convenience. I also urge you to visit FEBC for more about the Far East Broadcasting Company who make these weekly interviews possible. There you'll find ideas for how to pray for the unreached in our world. Just look online for febc.org. Christopher Beth reluctantly agreed to a short-term missions trip with his young daughter when the unexpected happened. He is now the founder and leader of the Bucket Ministry, and you'll hear the whole story now in first person as we meet Christopher Beth.
1: While I uh, get to be the storyteller, um, I just want to share with you that uh, uh, this is clearly not the story I've been writing. It's a story that God's been writing, but I think we both know He's in the business of using ordinary people to do some extraordinary things. And I think this maybe is just a uh, small example of something like that. So mm-hmm. my my background is non-ministry, non-church. I, I, I was a business consultant for 35 years, and I basically um, help people make more money and um, that's a worthy uh, cause (laughs) well it it is but um uh and honestly i thought i would be doing that for maybe another 10 years and then i would get to go fishing (laughs) um and really never assumed uh or even thought that i would be fishing for men at
0: this point well you had the water part of it right didn't you
1: well, there was that. There was that. And uh, so, I didn't, didn't necessarily grow up in the church. I, As a child, I was forced to go to church, but didn't have any relationship with Jesus. And in 2007, I was in a, a challenging uh, situation. I was in a car crash with my daughter, Savannah, mm-hmm. and she ended up breaking her back in that car crash. And while in the emergency room, Um, I found myself overwhelmed. I found myself alone. And, um, frankly, I needed a friend that would never, ever leave me. And so while in the emergency room next to my daughter on a stretcher, screaming in pain, I knelt down and, uh, really invited Jesus to take control of my life. And, uh, from that point, everything has changed. And from that point, um, I think that's really at the apex of where this story begins. Mm -hmm. And, um, so as a business consultant, I traveled the United States a little bit into Mexico, just helping businesses get better and, um, really, again, never aspired to be part of a global mission, a church, never aspired to be a pastor and, um, but clearly God had other plans. So in 2012, my daughter Savannah came home from high school and, and she announced to my wife Sherry and I that she was gonna be going on a mission trip to the Brazilian Amazon. And
0: um just what every parent <laughs> wants to hear, huh? <laughs> and
1: and I, I mean my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, what? And, uh, she'd been to South Texas, uh, which is pretty far, but not quite Brazil far. And so at that point we decided that if some, if she was going to go, somebody had to go with her because we were not comfortable with letting her be on her own. And so at that point, um, I drew that straw but Wayne, I, I need you to know, uh, the, the most important part of this story is, uh, I had been saved at this point, probably five or six years. I didn't even really understand my own relationship with Jesus yet. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been discipled. I hadn't even really considered anything else. So going on this trip, was not because I had a love or compassion for the Brazilian people. Mm-hmm. It was only to be a dad. It was only to bring my kid home. I understand. And, yeah. And at that point, that was the, the whole reason. And so uh we we board this plane in Dallas and we fly into Manaus, Brazil. And um, uh, with a group of people that I felt uncomfortable being around, because frankly, they were seasoned, short-term missionaries. They had gone on trips. They were more mature in their faith. And, you know, they were talking about things like being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I had no idea really what that meant. Mm -hmm. And it made me uncomfortable because I didn't know. And I didn't know these people. And here I am going to be stuck on a boat with them for 10 days. <laughs> so um, we we arrive in Manaus, Brazil. We get off the tarmac uh, and we walk out into the tarmac and it's like a billion percent humid. Uh, I'm just dripping with sweat and humidity. And I'm thinking, this is the most oppressive environment I've ever walked into So at that point, we're ushered through the airport, we get our bags, we get on a bus, and 20 minutes later, we're on the edge of the Amazon River, about ready to to board a three-level Amazon River boat. And when I got on, I said, so where are the cabins? (laughs) And everybody looks at me and goes... there's no cabins here
0: state rooms
1: yeah yeah and and uh so they said your hammock is over there and so at this point to discover we're going to be staying in open air conditions in a and we're going to be sleeping in hammocks open air while the boat tools down the amazon river so at about 11 p.m. that night uh, Savannah and I are getting our hammocks ready. We're going to try to attempt to go to sleep. And she comes over to me and whispers and she goes, dad, I think we made a mistake. Oh. And at that point I could do nothing but agree because it felt like a giant mistake to me. And, So we go 18 hours, Wayne, into the Amazon Basin through the darkest tributaries and uh, the craziest areas where it looked like, for those of us that are a little bit longer in the tooth, it looked like Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom Mm -hmm. just came to life in front of me, or the pages of National Geographic.
0: Yeah, there's a book about uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, called River River of of Doubt. Have you read that one? (laughs) I, I have. It's... It's a fantastic and
1: terrifying book Mm -hmm. all at the same time. And uh, so um, we arrive at the first village that we're going to be working at 18 hours after getting into Manaus, Brazil. And on this boat, we had a small team of short-term missionaries, and we had a variety of ministries on the boat. So we had men's ministry, women's ministry, VBS, a soccer camp planned, a doctor and a dentist. So, we we're going to be doing a lot of things in the village. And uh, that first day, I was assigned to be on the faith team. Okay. And I remember thinking, this is horrible. I don't even know anything about my own faith just yet. And you want me to talk to other people about it? And so, for the first two days, Wayne, I didn't say a word. We went door to door, knocked on homes and told people about what we we're going to be doing in their village that day. And then at that point, we prayed over people. And uh, so if the pastor that I was with, and his name was Ricky, if he was praying on this side of the house, I was on this side of the house, and I was praying, but I was praying nobody would talk to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was so terrified, it was so out of my element that I was almost into shutdown mode. Then the third day comes, and we we have to go to a home that's across the river from uh, where the big boat is. So we get in the small boat, and just then Pastor Ricky goes, "Well, you got this today." And I'm like, "What do you mean I got this?" Got and he what? said, "Exactly, exactly." And he said, "You handle it today." And I I'm like, "I don't know if you were here the first two days, but I haven't said a word. I can't handle anything. Please don't leave me." And so he walks away. So now I realize I got to do this by myself. So we walk into this home. We're greeted warmly by this wonderful Brazilian couple, um, Olivio and Marlena. And I know their names 11 years later, Wayne, because I got to visit them two weeks ago oh, back nice. in the Amazon. Nice. So, um, Anyway, they greeted us warmly into their home and their home was partially flooded because in the Amazon, water goes up and down uh, 30 to 40 feet through the year. So um, I get into their home and this little Brazilian woman, Marlena, looks at me and she goes, are you thirsty? And I'm like, look at me. I'm sweating to death. I'm an American. Yes, I'm thirsty. I love some water. So. I'm looking around for the refrigerator in her house, right? And it doesn't exist. I mean, there's not even electricity there. And um, so uh, she goes in her kitchen and she gets two cups and they're mismatched and one is cracked. And she walks outside onto the dock area in front of her house and she bends down and in the Amazon River, she puts these two cups and dips out two cups of river water. And I remember standing in the doorway watching her doing this. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this woman doing? And, uh, I thought, nah, she, she doesn't expect me to drink that, but sure enough, she walked in, she handed one cup to me, one cup to my interpreter. So there's these points in life where you have to make some pretty quick decisions that are going to affect your outcome Mm -hmm. on one hand. If I drink this, I'm going to be in the bathroom the whole time. On the other hand, if I don't, she's going to think I'm rude because I just got done telling her how thirsty I was. So as I'm sitting here pondering this decision, I look out of the corner of my eye and I see my interpreter, Nelson. And he's got his hand underneath his arm so she can't see him. And it's like this way. And he's wagging his finger. No, (laughs) don't drink it. This is
0: where I realize with these people, this is all they have to drink. And we'll hear more of this amazing story with Christopher Beth coming up in a moment on First Person. Here's Ed Cannon on the vision for FEBC's weekly podcast. The primary purpose of Until All Have Heard, of course, is to share the experience that FEBC has because we have staff on the ground in so many oppressive places. But in addition to that, we're trying to speak to you in a way that only the kind of testimonies you'll hear from around the globe can do. Discover how the gospel is making a difference around the world. Search for Until All Have Heard on your favorite podcast platform or here at online at febc.org. My guest is Chris Beth. Uh, Chris is with the Bucket Ministry, and we're getting the story behind this incredible ministry and how it all came about, how God has led him to do what he's doing. Uh, Chris, I want you to pick up the story because you've just been handed a glass of river water, Amazon River Water, which I assume is brownish, to say the least, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it had things swimming in oh, it, Oh, no,
0: no, no, no. <laughs> so
1: I'm sitting here holding this glass of dirty water, and I'm pondering, do I drink it? And my interpreter just said, you can't do that. So now I realize the gravity of this situation. These people only have access to dirty water. This is the only thing they're drinking. And uh, at that point, I realize I can't drink it. But now something else happens as I'm holding this glass of water. And prior to this day, I will tell you, I've never been in the business of hearing God's voice. Hmm. And in fact, if I'm being brutally honest, when people have said to me, hey, God spoke to me about this, I would be like,
0: yeah, I understand completely, right?
1: But as I'm holding this glass of water, I heard two words very clearly, and he said, help them. Help them, and so much so, Wayne, that I was like this,
0: <laughs> looking around, huh? Who's who
1: said that? <laughs> so, but I had no idea of what that meant. And so, uh, fast forwarding, um, Savannah, and I uh, get back to the United States. I have this help them on my heart, and I start to uh, try to understand what does this mean. And after I saw these people drinking dirty river water, I thought perhaps what helped them was, is I was supposed to bring them clean water. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so start researching the world water crisis, find out that 785 million people around the world lack access to something that I've taken for granted most of my life. Frankly, if I'm thirsty, I'm just going to go to the refrigerator and fill up a cup of water out of my filter or uh, just go buy a bottle of water. I have no idea that there is even a world water crisis until I saw these people drinking water out of the river. So I start re- researching it, and I find out some facts. I find out that every day, 700 children die from something so simple, something so preventable, and, and that is access to clean, safe drinking water. So I start researching opportunities. I look at wells, I look at biosand filters, and I start researching and purchasing a plethora of other filters. And then one day, my wife and I are at a camping supply store in Dallas. It's called REI, and we come across this filter. Uh, It's made by Sawyer Products out
0: of Tampa, Florida. Yeah, you're holding up something about the size of what?
1: um... Mm, A cell
0: phone. You know, roughly...
1: Roughly the size yeah. of
0: a cell phone
1: that Good. attaches to a bucket or receptacle. And, um, uh, I, I thought these looked interesting. So I purchased a couple of them, went home, researched it. My wife and I tested it. And I thought, man, this can be a great option because it takes out everything that was making people sick from drinking unclean water, mm. typhoid, cholera, salmonella, E. coli, Giardia, all of these cooties. It takes out at a ninety nine point nine nine percent effective rate.
0: Well, what does a filter like that cost? Well, we can
1: provide the bucket, the filter, um, anti parasitic medicines, and three follow up visitations. We can provide all that for fifty dollars in most countries. Okay, so less less than you and I can take our families to Applebee's. <laughs> yes, right. Not get any appetizers and only drink water. that's what we can provide somebody generational access to have clean, safe drinking water and hear about the gospel.
0: So the bucket ministry began with that simple idea that a filter could help provide clean water. Tell me, uh, how has it grown over the, what, what are some of the stories how, how God has used this, Chris?
1: Well, and those, those keep on being written. And uh, so 11 years later, we are now working in 12 countries with one of our largest campaigns happening right now in Kenya, Africa. And we are working in one of the largest urban slums in the world. It's called Kibera, three square miles, and there's 95,000 homes and 408,000 people created in God's image that are living in this place and in 2017, God called us there. I ran from it three different times because I said it's too big. And honestly, for us to provide a water filter in every home and to do three follow-up visits, it is going to cost us about 4.7 million dollars. And we're a tiny organization, Wayne. Hmm. And so I kept running from it. God kept on bringing us there, and uh, so finally um, surrendered to that and. In um, 2018, we started working there. And as of today, as of last week, actually, I am very proud to testify to God has placed now half of the water filters in that area. And we've shared the gospel with half the population so so far. So, roughly 200,000 people have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And approximately 10,000 of those people have decided to make a decision to follow him.
0: When did you make that connection between the fact that you could help them and at the same time introduce them to Jesus? How did that happen, Chris?
1: Well, on my second trip to Brazil, um, we went back with some filters, and I thought it was just going to be this humanitarian mission, Wayne. I thought we were just going to hand out clean water and walk away. But what God showed us on that trip— is that we could use this filter to reach their hearts. Because the filter, what happens is this filter becomes a key that opens a door that allows us to start a relationship with people. And because of that relationship with the filter, we have a relationship with our uh, our indigenous field partners, the missionaries and pastors that actually do this work that are locals. So, because of that relationship, we earn the right to share the gospel. We earn the right to start to disciple those people that come to Christ in the process.
0: So, clean water is just a means. Amen. Clean water is the tool
1: that we use to get to the gospel, to get to the discipleship of this. Because dirty water is just like the sin in our lives Mm -hmm. and that filter. Filters just like what Jesus did on that cross for us and how he redeemed us, how he purifies us, and how he absorbs our sin. And so that's when we realized that the filter was no longer an instrument for physical change, just physical change. Now it's an instrument that God has given us not only to affect physical change, but to introduce people to a relationship with Jesus Christ.
0: Wow. What a story! Uh, let me let me come back to a couple of things. One, your faith obviously was ignited and changed through that whole experience personally. Talk about that that change in you.
1: I very rarely am asked this question, Wayne, and I was asked this question for the first time about four weeks ago, and it's been heavy on my heart ever since because I am allowed to be part of God's work in such a way that I see miracles every day. because of being engaged in this work, I get to see him work. I don't uh, I don't have to see it. I get to be part of it. He allows me to see it. and for me, I'm pretty thick-headed. <laughs> I'm just an ordinary business guy, right? And sometimes you just got to want me over the head with something to get my attention. So because of this work, it has allowed my faith to grow in a way that maybe for some people is extremely uncomfortable. Maybe some people will say things like, well, you know, you can't do that. You can't help 400,000 people. You're just a tiny organization. And after being able to witness these miracles, just like Jesus's disciples witnessed miracles, right? I'm witnessing these modern day miracles that he is doing through this filter. And because of that, my faith has grown to a level to now I say to those people that tell me I can't do something, I can't help 400,000 people in the biggest slum in the world, and I just say, well, why not?
0: Indeed, why not? Why not follow the Lord's leading even in the simple things and see what might happen through God's enabling power? We've heard from Christopher Beth on this edition of First Person. You'll want to learn more about the bucket ministry and what is being accomplished through it, so please visit FirstPersonInterview.com where you'll find a link to a great website. That's FirstPersonInterview.com. Sharing the love and message of Christ is what the Far East Broadcasting Company is all about, and you'll also want to learn more about it when you visit FEBC.org. I host a podcast there with Ed Cannon, the president of FEBC, called Until All Have Heard, and I invite you to listen each week at FEBC.org or on most other podcast platforms. Look for Until All Have Heard from the Far East Broadcasting Company. And also look for Unreached and Focus, giving you ideas on how to pray for the unreached of our world. It's at febc.org. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person.